0: Everybody that loves the Lord, say amen. Go to Exodus chapter 4, and I'll read the whole chapter if you mess with me now. <laughs> Hadn't the Lord been good to us? Amen. Lord, thank you for Calvary, what you gave us there. Lord, thank you for Jesus, and what he gave us, when he gave us all that he gave us. Lord, thank you for the church. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the blessed hope. Lord God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your daily presence and your daily power. Lord God, thank you for the hope of eternal life. Lord, you cannot lie. And you promised. Father Breathe on us tonight, make preaching what you meant for it to be, and we'll love you, do a work in our hearts. You're the only one that can, and you're the only one that is able, so we ask for that. Lord, hear our prayers, filter our prayers according to thy wisdom, and Lord, make them earnest before God with groanings which cannot be uttered. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name and all the Lord's people said. Hadn't the Lord been really good to us? Amen. Amen. It's good to be in the Lord's house. It's good to be in the Lord's church. Amen. Amen. It's good to be in the Lord's church. There's nothing nothing more eternal on this earth than the church. It's a great mystery. And even here, 2,000 years later, uh, here we are, and God has His church. With all the branches and all the birds that are in the branches, and with all the leaven that is in the lump, and with all the tares that's in the wheat, the Lord still has His church. Amen. He has His churches. And I bless the Lord. Good to see Brother Reese Keys. These men, Brother Gene, and good to see Alice made it over from Tifton, yeah. and uh, hallelujah. Good to see the men of God that are here tonight, and we thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for Brother Burke. Thank God that God's continuing his church on here, and uh, I got a little jealous when he started crooning there, man. I didn't know he could do that quite like that. Maybe it was Brother David made you sound so good. Yeah. <laughs> The Lord, I appreciate uh, the relationship. The Lord's He gives us. I wrote it down years ago. Somebody said life is a series of relationships, and uh, God brings people in your life. Most of them not to stay. Most relationships are seasonal. But there are some that that remain. And I bless the Lord for it. <clears throat> I want to give what I'm supposed to give in these series of relationships throughout life, and I, and I want to get what I'm supposed to get. And so thank the Lord. God's people are special. I heard a man in Mississippi say <clears throat> that uh, Paul talked about that. Second Corinthians 12, sufficient grace. There was a thorn in the flesh given to him by God. And you do know that most of the things we're praying against, God's the one causing them. That's why you better learn to pray in the Spirit. You better learn to pray in, in the Spirit because we don't have wisdom. I'm afraid a lot of our prayer life sometimes is telling God everything that we think he should do. <laughs> Talk to me, y'all. And uh mm. But Paul was praying for that thorn. The Lord said I'm going to give you sufficient grace. That that old man of God in Mississippi said, "Do you reckon Luke the physician was the sufficient grace?" Yeah, God didn't give him Deliverance from the thorn, but he gave him a doctor to travel with him. <laughs> and then that old man of God said this: He said, "Some some people are the gift of God sent in dire life. They are the sufficient grace that walks in." And I'm probably special to you that way, and I'm glad I can be. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Just maybe, maybe not. I don't know. If that's wonderful. <laughs> My wife said, if you would medicate your disorders, we'd get better meetings. (laughs) Was she talking about y'all's better meetings? (laughs) I think she maybe didn't know what she was saying. That's what I tell her anyway. I thank the Lord for my wife. She is a soldier and a trooper. And she has never tapped the brakes. I guess 30 states and six countries, and she has never tapped the brakes. and uh, every once in a while she wants me to throw it in neutral, <laughs> but she has never, and God gave me the most wonderful wife. Thank the Lord for it. Uh, I go home every week. you know evangelists have difficult choices to make. We chose not to raise our kids in a parking lot in a camper, and that's just we just went the direction God showed us, and there's nothing wrong with how you do it. <clears throat> uh, but the Lord and and I go home every week. I go home after every meeting. It's expensive. Uh, we pay for two lifestyles. We have bills at our house and the bills on the road, and it's time consuming, but. Of course, they traveled with us many years and still travel some. But uh, I thank the Lord. For the, and I talked to her. I'm saying this for the sake of the young men. I talked to her two or three or four times a day. Amen. Got to be accountable. And I talked to preachers all day. And then I talked to my wife and I'm not talking to preachers. Really. Uh, it is not good for a man to be alone. Amen. Amen. And I thank the Lord for it. Pray for us. We're going to England in January. Uh, Our missionary, Brother Rob Smith, there's an old British pastor named Colin Pavitt, been there many years. He's a phenomenal individual. He's dying with cancer and he's turning his two churches and third ministry over to Brother Rob, one of our World Harvest men, and we're going to uh, be a part of that special Sunday. And I'm praying the Lord's put some prayers in my heart. And they're in His heart. They're in God's heart. It's a big prayer. The Lord's got me praying for the wind, and I'm not speaking lightly or sensationally. Anybody who's in revival for the sensation of it, you'll be out in a little while it's It's hard work and it's hard warfare, and it takes your entire life and it will it will devastate your life. but your life was your problem anyway. Uh, I'm praying for the winds of revival to blow in Scotland, in England, and Ireland, and Wales, the old Bible teacher from Pensacola, in Western European nations. Italy and Spain and Germany—that whole run through there—they're all Roman Catholics. Somewhere back there, they rejected the gospel. But up there in them islands—England, Scotland, Ireland—that's the presence of God. And and I'm praying. And some of you, some of you pray. Some of you have prayer closets. And if the load of burden your heart, I'm praying. For the wind of revival and and I hate to even use that word, so let's call it the, the power of God, the winds of salvation and deliverance, the winds of a move of God. I'm praying for God to answer the prayer from them saints from the eighteen hundreds and the early nineteen hundreds. We've reached the third and fourth generation. Their skin heads they're tattooed head to foot, nuts and bolts and piercings. They're demon possessed, and and millions of them, white ones, England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales. And God put it in my heart to pray that God would answer their great grandparents' prayers, the saints that were in the that gave us our songs our sermons, our books, our revival, our missionaries. that God would go back and answer the prayers of the great-grandparents. <laughs> and I believe that we might could have a visitation right before the rapture. More than one place. But I'm praying for that. So I'm making that trip in January and I want to announce to you that I don't need any money. <laughs> we got all the money we need for it. <laughs> I thought I'd tell you about one trip where I didn't ask you for money. <laughs> this church has always helped us go to Albania and go to uh, some men helped me last year with the Africa mission trip. And uh, my daddy died, went to heaven right in the middle of that, and I did not go to Africa. That was the week we had his funeral. And so that trip is uh, going to be in the spring. Some of y'all helped me with that, and I don't need money for that. I've kept that money, so this may be one of the only times I'll tell you about two mission trips and don't ask you for money. Now, I'm receiving Christmas presents all month since I mean so much to you. Kurt, do you hear me? You, How many years did you not tithe? It's time now. It's time. That's two days in a row the Lord made me mention that to you, so... What are you supposed to do for me, Kurt? You and you didn't even buy the chicken wings last night. After, from the pulpit, it was spoken, and you didn't do it. So I'm keeping a record book. Exodus chapter 4. Hadn't the Lord been really good to us? So the Kurt now has a wife and a baby, and he hath no money. <laughs> Exodus chapter 4. Thank the Lord. had not he been good to us? I've been looking at this. The Lord put me in this some time back and several months now and I don't preach it every night but uh, I've been in it. Uh, I remember the old evangelist the old evangelist said God would give him a message, and it'd run about six months. And then the Lord would shelf it, and he'd never preach it again. And now that's an evangelist talking, not a pastor. And that's, that's proven out for me, too. God, God will give me a burden and a message, and uh, I'll preach it until the Lord's done with it, and i never go back again. For the most part. I had a, a man, an old white-haired pastor, and he couldn't believe I was still studying. <laughs> I was studying, and I preached for him, and I said, now, the Lord just showed me, you know. And, and he said, You're, you you still study? And I was confused. <laughs> and uh, he said, I've got about five years' worth of sermons. And he said, I hadn't studied since. I just preached my sermons. He said, you're an evangelist. You only need a week of sermons. And so I was just flabbergasted. I asked him later, was he saved? <laughs> he thought I was joking. And uh, <laughs> Preaching is not a performance, young preachers. It's not, about, it's not about impressing folks. It's about living in the Bible. And It's the Word of God. He esteemed his word above his name. And we better had. It's not about bringing a sugar stick. The whole thing is the whole thing's a honeycomb. And at the same time it's a hammer. It's a hammer. And and this book can be a hammer on one man and honey on the fella sitting next to him at the same time. That's the word of God. And the Lord's had me in this thing, and my daddy we buried him, and uh, two or three weeks before he got before he went down and got sick. God put this in my heart, and this was the scripture that God called him to preach on. And so the whole time it took him about three months to die, the whole time he was dying and buried the Lord had me preaching his special scripture. Look in chapter 4, verse 2. What is that in thine hand? My daddy was sitting by his pastor, leading the singing. And i got to get Brother Sam edu- on this right here. Just make the sign of the cross. It works with any mathematical measures that they're doing up there. And uh, go bad this every once in a while. Make a B. Just go, hey, amen. Uh, but uh, daddy was leading the singing. The Holy Ghost told him to preach. He was so naive to church and the things that God, he just thought he was supposed to preach one time. He told his pastor, I, I'm supposed to preach. his preacher in old country, well, get up and preach. And then Dad thought he was done. That was it. And two old women after the service, I'm so glad God called you to be a preacher. He said, "What?" <laughs> and uh, but how about the Lord letting me be in this text? while my daddy was shutting down this world and headed to another. Now the Lord sat me and write this down. Here's been the outline that God gave me in verse 2. What is that in thine hand? Moses being called the burning bush, the call of God, to be the lawgiver and to be the deliverer of the nation of Israel, the steward of the Old Testament. The Old Covenant. What is that in thine hand? And then in verse 10, he's arguing with God. You got the wrong man, Lord. What is that in thine hesitation? Why are you arguing? Why are you balking? Why are you not following God? And then, over in verse, I believe it's 24. What What is that in thy home? issues there. The Lord come to kill him. Mm. The Lord had just told him that what he's going to do with Pharaoh going to kill his firstborn son and then Moses didn't have his own firstborn sons in line. And Zipporah took a sharp stone and she obeyed God. She brought the blood of a covenant in her home and she brought the cross in. That would be a good place to say amen. Saved her home, saved her husband. She may have been the original problem. I don't know. She may not have been, but she sure she sure knew the solution. What is that in thy home? And then, what verse? So we let him go. Is that verse 26? So we let him go. And then you have a beautiful picture of Calvary in verse twenty seven. What is that on thy heel? They're the kisses of Calvary. The man that God going to give the law and the man that God is going to give the lamb. The man bringing the law met the man bringing the lamb. The lamb and the law met upon the mount. Kisses of Calvary. What is that on thy hill? Tonight the Lord's arranged it in my heart. I've, I've preached these Scriptures and some messages I've only preached once and unique thoughts. Some things I've went over again and again in different churches. But tonight I wrote this down. The Lord's got it in my heart. Look in verse 9, I believe, is where our two signs. Verse 9, "...and this shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs." What were those two signs? Cast, thy, cast that rod on the ground. It became a serpent. Take it up. It became a rod again. And then put thy hand in thy bosom. What verse is that? It was the second sign. Verse 6, And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out... Behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. So here's two signs. The sign of taking up that serpent and the sign, that hand, the leprosy. Put it in your bosom again. Leprosy. And it was healed. These two signs. Now, the Lord's got my heart full tonight. I scribbled this down on a scrap piece of paper. I didn't scribble that down. I scribbled that down. There's two sanctifications. If you want to take notes very quickly, I'll mention these. Two sanctifications. Back in chapter 3, verse 5. Sanctified his feet. Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. Two sanctifications. And then here, what is that in thine hand? I heard Terry Pace preach on God sanctifying his feet and his hands. What about Brother Pace going on to heaven? Two sanctifications. His feet and his hands. Where you're going and what you're doing. And then, two stewards, Moses and Paul. One given the administration of the dispensation of the law, and the other one given the dispensation of the stewardship of grace. Moses and Paul. It's interesting, we mentioned it last night, some of you are new to the meeting There was nearly a killing in the middle of his calling. That thing has grabbed me, and I've preached it all over the country. He come to kill Moses. The Lord saw him. He's going to kill him. And as I've studied that the last few days, it dawned on me that God was probably coming to kill Paul when he came to call Paul. It was going to be a killing or a calling. You're not going to kill any more Christians. When he met him that day, depending on Paul's, reaction, response. I'm going to tell you something. We are not Calvinists. You can choose to go to hell. You can choose to go to heaven. I don't even like talking about heaven and hell because the Lord really didn't. Jesus didn't die so you could go to heaven. He died so you could go to God. Jesus didn't die to get you out of hell. He died to get you out of sin. Amen. We turned this thing into who's the best salesman. Talking people into go to heaven. Listen, you can talk me into going to Walmart. <laughs> it don't take much to impress me. Trying to scare people out of hell and trying to talk people into heaven. That ain't the gospel and that ain't the power of God. And when He has come, He'll reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. You can't find me two or three solid passages in the New Testament where the, where the whole question of your eternal destiny is God trying to talk you into heaven and, and scare you out of hell. You can't find it in the Gospels and you can't find it in Paul's epistles he does not appeal he does not appeal neither one neither jesus or paul appeal to the to the fear of hell or to the glory of heaven he appealed to the fact that god is your creator and wants to be your father again he appealed to the fact that you got a sin problem you got a righteousness problem there are some passages where you might could see Discussions of heaven and hell or mentions of it. But I'm talking about where the primary thrust of that Scripture when Jesus was dealing with men or when Paul was dealing with churches and with men where they just went all out on, Oh, you can't miss heaven and, Oh, you better be scared of hell. You ain't going to find that." where that's the primary thrust in any Scriptures. There are mentions of heaven. There are mentions of hell. Jesus didn't die on that cross so you could be comfortable. He died on that cross so you could be made whole and made righteous and regenerated again. And it ain't going to heaven, that's the big deal, it's going to God. Hallelujah. That might be where the watered down easy believism comes in in this hour. Southern Baptist slam eat up with it because they're not allowed to preach on sin in their large worldly congregations. Independent Baptists are eat up with easy believism because half of them ain't been born again. They don't even understand the topics. It's five, a bunch of five, and I believe a five-year-old can get saved if God's a-dealing with him. I was raised around some of that crowd and get every four-year-old in the neighborhood to repeat a prayer and then you have to tell them the rest of their life that they are saved. Let me tell you something. Somebody gets saved. You don't tell them. They tell you. Amen. Mm. These These two stewards, Moses and Paul, been on my heart for four months, five months. There are two servants. There's Moses and Aaron. Moses. His story's in Exodus with the law. Aaron, his story's in the next book, Leviticus, with the Lamb. Moses and Aaron. Interesting about Aaron. He didn't do good when it was left in his charge, did he? You know, I'm amazed that and, and I, I, I got a sermon where I call him the gold calf preacher. Moses is up on that mountain. The people are like, hey, we don't want to have church no more. We want to have an Egyptian party. He makes a golden calf on The idolatry. And he said that we'll, have, we'll, we'll worship this golden calf on the Lord's altar. We'll have the world's worship and the Lord's worship. And we'll just combine it and blend it. There will be an early service and a later service. There will be a traditional and a contemporary. Y'all ain't helping me. Gold-calf preacher. I got a message I preach on the four sons of a gold-calf preacher. He had to kill them two boys that offered strange fire. Opening day of church. I know church is New Testament. But opening day down there at the tabernacle, the temple. Opening day. And his two boys, God killed them off in strange fire. Well, I wonder where they learned to bring foreign elements into the Lord's. Talk to me, y'all. Then he had two other sons and brought them in. And you go to read the end of that chapter, they messed everything up. They put the blood in the wrong place They put the lamb in the wrong place. They, 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 they did things out of order and, and they had no reverence. No attention to detail how God wanted it. Four signs. What did they learn to mess church up? Now listen, some I got friends all across this country that was raised in, in in a what they call a strict independent fundamental bath and they're a and they're a bunch of rebels and reprobates, and they've run as far away from church as they could, claiming that they were abused. Maybe some of them were to one degree or another. Maybe they were. You be careful in your life of of knee-jerk reactions. You be careful in your life of of knee-jerk reactions. And, uh, oh dear time. And and I got a whole generation that said, well, I didn't like the way I grew up. It was too strange. And I know there were some nuts out there that, that... that really yokes that neither we nor our fathers could bear. Help me now. Amen. I understand that. But don't you throw the baby out when you throw out the wash. And, And I grew up with a whole generation and they left because two or three things were wrong. They threw the baby out with the wash. I'm glad Leah come back in with the baby. I'm glad you still got the baby. If that was a dirty diaper, I'm glad you'd be like, wow, this thing gives dirty diapers. Get rid of all of it. Appreciate you coming back in with the baby. But you didn't throw the baby out with the dirty diaper. Y'all ain't helping me. we got a whole generation who are like the four sons of Aaron. Two of them got killed and two of them nearly got killed. Aaron had to intercede for them at the end of that particular chapter where the two boys were killed and then the two other boys did not know how to, or they didn't choose to act right in the house of God. They treated the lamb and the blood any old way they wanted. I'll tell you something. Everybody was raised Rough. Some of you have had a wonderful Christian home and your problem is you've had a wonderful Christian home and you don't even appreciate half of it. Everybody's got an excuse to quit. Everybody's got an excuse not to serve God. Everybody's got an excuse to, well, I got hurt so I ain't going to do right. That's shallow, that's silly, that's self-serving and that's selfish. I need a little help and that ain't going to fly this generation of victims, it ain't going to fly to judgment. You stand before God. Well, there was a preacher and he he said something mean. I miss our president saying mean things every morning, don't you? He is a great one. He didn't do anything mean. He just talked mean. These others talk smooth things and are ripping your constitution and your liberty away from you. But anyhow, I said all that to say this about Aaron. He never quit. God killed two boys. God killed his two oldest sons. And there ain't one verse where he come in there and had to get right. There ain't one verse where he took six months off. There ain't a verse where God had to apologize to him for how things went with his boys. Y'all ain't helping me. Aaron never quit. Now that day that that gold calf business, and here's what I want to tell you. That, that day that he caved into the people, Moses was up on the mountain, Aaron produced. Okay, I want to say this. If I was God, I'd have fired him. Served? You brought in the gold calf. There will not be a Leviticus with Aaron in it. There will be a Leviticus with Sam or Jim in it. Well, hold on. we got a Sam and a Jim. I... There would be an old boy named Bob in, in Leviticus. Do we have a Bob? <laughs> what, what about that? God did not fire him. And neither did he quit on God. I'm about to run out in the parking lot and shout. God didn't quit on Aaron when Aaron messed up that day. That's amazing to me. God. And you know what I think? Y'all listen to me now. I'm counseling five churches right now that need a pastor. Aaron wasn't supposed to be the pastor. Who put him in that position? Moses did. When you put a man in charge and he ain't supposed to be in charge, it ain't going to go well. I told the church two weeks ago out in Kansas, I heard everybody's feelings. Wonderful to be special. I heard everybody's feelings. I said, this man. I said, y'all need to leave your feelings and your emotions, and this is not a personality, and it's not a popularity. I said, if you make this man the pastor, and he ain't supposed to be, but some of y'all are mad about something three months ago, and some of you are mad at this crowd for something six months ago, and you're gonna make him the pa- and if you're gonna make him the pastor, and it, and he ain't supposed to be, you'll run him, his life, and his three sons. You'll run his life. Putting him in a position that God ain't putting him in. Young preachers, Ashton, Kurt, and you other young preachers in here? You Don't be jockeying for position. I was a preacher boy. I was a teenage preacher boy. I was sitting on the front row of Brother Sammy. He's age 13. Brought one suit. <laughs> stayed all week. Hits to ride. Stayed all week. <laughs> Sat on the front row. Brother Sammy put all the preacher boys up, you know, five minutes each. I thought I had died and went to the upper part of the third heaven. I'm preaching. And, and there was a girl's home there. And y'all were probably there. And there's a the girl's home, and I was preaching on David and Goliath. And they were all, amen, amen. I was like, hey, we are in hog heaven. I knew I was a great preacher. It's been confirmed now in front of many. <laughs> I didn't figure out all week they did that to every preacher. <laughs> I think they were looking for husbands. They just said, amen. I was a preacher boy. I know what it is to feel noticed, to feel validated, and all you, you know, all you want to do is be a great man of God for God, and you just want some older preacher to acknowledge you for ten seconds. I understand that. But boys, if you got pride and if you got self, you're going to make a mess of everything you ever touch. And you go ahead and put yourself in some position, you're going to be in a mess. My point is, Aaron made a mess that day with the gold calf because he wasn't supposed to be in charge. I did not see God in the early part of Exodus speaking out of the burning bush, said, Moses, Moses, and go get Aaron, get Aaron. Mother said, "I can't do it. I gotta get hurt over well when you pull people in this and you put them out of position That's why in a church that runs by politics, and I don't think y'all it is obvious in the transition brother Denton and brother Bur is obvious that this church is not run by family by power by by egos and by cliques It's not. Y'all do not have that problem. And, uh, but let's record this, and I don't know 11 churches I want to mail it to. <laughs> they have that problem. And the church that's run by internal politics will never have the power of God. Things gotta be run by the Lord. Amen. Gotta be a truckload of humility, a truckload of integrity, Most churches really only, y'all are a little miracle. Most churches only survive one round. And in the second round, they get who they want. And God says, it was nice doing business with you. And I'll never see you later. And he's gone. And he's somewhere else. And he'll never come back there again. (laughs) Y'all ought to high-five each other and run around that parking lot till next Easter. It's just that the Lord's still here and God's still here. Amen.
1: Hallelujah.
0: Oh, my. Talking about Aaron, I didn't know I was going to talk about Aaron tonight. But Aaron, somebody put him out of position. Brother Reese, and you know three of these churches. And I'm talking to them right now, and, I, and I've told them, boy, and I've hurt some people's feelings. It's wonderful to be the evangelist. Hurt their feelings and ask for an offering at the same time. <laughs> Let me tell you something, you stinking rascal, and, uh, can y'all help me? <laughs> Try that on for side. You think preaching ain't foolishness? People that feed you, you gotta, you gotta give them a whooping, and then, like, are y'all gonna feed me now? <laughs> ah! The foolishness of preaching. Do you think there's anything that up here that uh, preaching will embarrass you? It's the most embarrassing thing in the world to stand up in front of people's embarrassing. Then to stand up and talks embarrassing. Then to stand up and hollers embarrassing. And then to stand up and act like you don't know what. Which I've gotten used to. <laughs> it's embarrassing. You know what I've told these churches? I said, the only reason y'all ain't going to get a pastor is your pulpit committee. And you have to have a pulpit. I think it's a good idea. It's the best way. A pulpit committee. But I said, a bad pulpit committee? And you're guaranteed not to get the right man. They'll never let him make it to the church. I said, you know the only thing worse than a bad pulpit committee is a good one. Because a good one's full of wise men. You know what them wise men do? They know what they need. But that ain't what they need. They know what they need, but it's never what they need. Most pulpit committees are made up of the men that are left over. And somebody's got to have enough sense with God to know that we have no idea how we're going to get the right preacher. Let's don't even try. Let's go in this side room and don't eat for three months and let's pray. That's the only way that things will work out in your life is to turn it totally over to God. Every church I know lose a pastor. They all rewrite the Constitution, mad about the last pastor. And then if they had an old pastor, they'll say, We need a young man. With a young wife and two babies. That's what we need. And if they just had a twenty seven year old pastor, we need a seventy year old man of God with wisdom. We need somebody with wisdom this time. If the preacher's wife could play and sing and teach Sunday school, they say, you know, we need a preacher who has a humble, quiet wife. We've had enough of that. And if they've had a little quiet servant behind the scenes wife, they're like, we need a preacher's wife who speaks ladies' meetings and who can sing and tap dance and stand on her head. That's what we need. You don't know what you need. In your life, you don't know what you need. You better turn things over to God. You're going to get some things in place because you had the wisdom on how this needs to turn out. The same way a man can't run a church, you can't run your own life. You better trust God. Girls, don't tell the Lord what kind of husband you need. Just tell Him you need a husband. Maybe one with a white coat and slick hair. Who knows? There's a little, little 60s something gospel going on over there. So that's a good sign. Who'd, who'd want a young man in just a boring blue suit, you know? <laughs> Some kind of sweater vest, you know? Who wants that? Ooh, Nineteen sixty. Too. That's what I'm talking about. I was picking on a little fella one time in the restaurant, and he started crying. They said, Brother Dean, he's sensitive. You've been embarrassed him. I'm like, Well, I'm going to the bathroom. I've a lot of these things in my life. I'd have to go to the bathroom sometimes. when kids are laughing at you, that's actually not a good sign. (laughs) When the kid has more sense than you, like, Mama, that preacher's crazy. (laughs) I'm amazed how Aaron got brought in, and yet God used him anyway. He's, He's the man in the next book. And I'm amazed that he didn't quit God when God judged his family. And I'm amazed God didn't quit him when he brought in a gold calf. That ought to give me and you hope that there have been some bad chapters in our life. There have been some bad chapters in our life and God did not throw us out on our ear. And He didn't even ask us in to begin with. What are you going to do with that? Who's this? Why'd you bring him? <laughs> okay, Not sure what he's doing here. <laughs> mm. That's amazing, ain't it? Two servants. Let's talk about these two signs, and I'll be done. I was going to talk about two sovereigns. Moses and Pharaoh. But that's second coming business. they mm. They're over there in Romans 9. Moses and Pharaoh. Calvinists love to go to Romans 9 and use Moses and Pharaoh to try to prove their sovereignty. Oh, well, I got news for you. If you want to understand how salvation works, you do not go to Romans 9. That's how nations work. That's how God works with nations. Jacob and Esau. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. See there? Unconditional election. Predestined to hell. Knew it. Wow, really. He took three big leaps there, sir. Come back here so we can smack you. (laughs) Come here. come Okay, thank you. Sit down. If you want to understand how God saves somebody, you go to Romans 3, 4, and 5. He don't go to Romans 9. It's not 9, 10, and 11. That's how he works with nations. You know what he said about Jacob and Esau? First thing mentioned about them, he told their mama. Over in Genesis 26 or 20-something, two nations are in thy womb the purposes of god according to election has nothing to do with individuals getting saved it has to do with how god is organizing those the nations in his prophetic plan moses and pharaoh but let's close with this let's look at the two signs and i'm headed to the end now i've become aware when i've had a 30 40 minute introduction <laughs> You're buying me chicken wings. You're paying. You got out of it last night. Look at them two signs. I love them. You give me about seven or eight more minutes. Studying these two signs. What's the first one? It's how God dealt with a serpent. Second one, how God dealt with leprosy. Ooh. Mm. What about that? I was studying this thing out and talking to about 30 preachers. I had 30 young preachers in the study group. And I couldn't make sense of it for nothing. What do these two signs mean? Put that rod down. It became a serpent. He fled. What verse does it say he fled from before the face of the serpent? At verse 3 yeah thing became a serpent, and he fled from it. You want to know why he had good sense. You're supposed to run from snakes. Anybody has a pet snake you you need all them medications. I preach against. you need extra ones pet snake a snake ain't supposed to be a pet you if you have a pet pet snake, just you know we're going to give you all of our pet cats <laughs> leave me alone. Oh, my, he fled. But then that serpent, he said, now take it up. I believe he said, by the tail. Let me give you the little truth that I ran into. Reach your hand down in there, in your bosom. Pull it out. Leprosy. Somebody help me. What's... What's leprosy a picture of in the Bible? Always a picture of sin. He reached deep down in his heart and he found what was down in there. What are you going to do? Your verse has the word again in it twice. Again, again. Go back down in there again. Ain't y'all glad for that second again? Again. You must be born again. What about the man, every man, every man and woman, boy, girl, everybody that needs to reach down in their heart and see what's in their sin. What are you going to do about it? Go back down in there again. Let him change you. And here's the little truth that I usually preach an hour on, but not tonight. God proved to Moses now. It took a young preacher from Athens, Georgia. I chewed on that thing a month. I have no idea what did these two signs. And a young boy from Athens, Georgia said, Brother Dane, don't you reckon God was showing Moses that he could handle Satan and he can handle sin? I said, sir, I need you to sign my Bible and my left shoulder blade. That was pretty good. <laughs> Thank you, I said. Hallelujah. And what about Moses? And what about, that's what every one of us needs to know, that our God, when He's calling us, when He's recruiting us, when He comes by to visit you, should I go with God? Can I go with, well, he'll, he'll confirm something for you. He can take care of Satan. And He can take care of sin. You know, the word Satan means adversary. He can take care of your Satan, and He can take care of your sin. The enemy without serpent. The enemy within. A black preacher from Savannah, Georgia said, The greatest enemy is the inner me. And let's just stop and shout for a minute. That I have an enemy, and God has an enemy, and the devil's very real. And right now, he's raging. Revelation 12, he knows he has but a short time. He's raging. He's trying to take over the human family in every way possible. But I'm glad I got a God. And, honey, his serpent swallowed all them other serpents when they got in Pharaoh's court. Can I get a witness? Amen. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I ain't never wanted to meet the devil. I ain't never wanted to fight the devil. I don't even want to know the devil. I've never studied the devil. i got Warren Wiersbe's little book. That was pretty neat. That's as far as I got. I don't want to know the devil. I want to just turn him over to Jesus. It's what Jude said. Even Michael the Archangel, when contending with the devil, disputed about the body of Moses, contending about the body of Moses, he wouldn't mess with him. He said, the Lord rebuke thee. I'm glad I have, I'm glad my God can take care of Satan. And I'm glad he can take care of me and what's in me. Isn't that right? Leprosy, sin! Romans 7 tells us how bad our old sin nature is. The things that I would, I don't. The things that I would, uh, that I can't. The things that I wouldn't, i do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Do you all ever feel that way about your flesh? Your sin nature, your hang-ups, your addictions. Your... And, and there's no excuses to live in sin. careful study of Romans 6 and 7. There's a big difference. Sin living in you, and you hate it, and you living in sin, and you love it. If you're living in sin, child of God, and you love it, you're in for a whipping that you're not going to do well at. He's good at chastening. He won't be halfway about it. You will be chastened when it's done. You living in sin and loving it. That's a real problem. Sin living in you and you hating it, that's every one of our problems. I'm glad Romans six and seven's in there. Romans six tells me sin's living in me. Romans seven tells me I'm not supposed to live in sin. Romans eight tells me this is where I'm fixing to run out the door and shout, except that's a busy highway. I'll stay in here. Romans 8 tells me that there's something else living in me. (laughs) I may run out there and shout anyway. I think I could take on a Mack truck right now. You go and see. You go. You got the white coat. They'll never see me. They'll see you. Thank God sin may be living in me, but somebody else is too. The Holy Spirit's living in me. Isn't it sad the the Pentecostal people, the ones that are sincere? How much fear is that to let the, the ones that are sincere to live your whole life anxious and I don't even know what the word would be to, to, you may go to hell, you may die unsaved because your perfection, your performance, what them twenty them the end of the 21st century, the Wesleyan Methodist holiness started trying to get something that they already had. Sinless perfection. They was trying to get it through the Spirit and they already had it through the Son. I need a little help. Trying to get sinless perfection in this life. And they already had sinless perfection in His life. I'm glad Romans 8 comes right behind Romans 6 and 7. There's one mention of the word Spirit in Romans 7 and it's a small s. There's over 25 mentions of the word Spirit in Romans 8 and it's capital S. I know, listen, it'd have been wonderful if God had saved us and took sin out. He took sin away. It's not on your record. But the law of indwelling sin remains. He didn't take it out. He just moved in and dealt with it. In the glory world, your sin is gone. Down here where we're at, the Savior's here. He moved in with me and said, I'm going to help you whoop that rascal. What rascal? The other you. The old you. Okay. I don't like him either. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Trumpets going to blow one day and we're going to lose this whole arrangement on the way from here to there. Hallelujah. Sin. I'm so glad that God proved to Moses I can handle Satan and I can handle sin. Hallelujah. I close with this. Young people, tell me. What's the most popular gospel verse? In the Gospel of John, what's the most popular gospel verse? John three sixteen. Nobody holds up anything else at football games. I'll confess to you, college game day at ten a.m. I might be in there with a the coffee. I mean, I felt like Jennifer may want to see it, so I turned it on so she can see that I'm being a good husband. I do go get her a hardy's biscuit and bring it back and then she lets me watch what I want. I don't have a coat like that no more. I have to get biscuits. I had one and I got married and it went away. I I've gotta buy you I I gotta buy you a hamburger or something after picking on you. I ain't buying you nothing. You're buying you're buying me and him a hamburger. You're gonna make this up to him. John 3.16. Athletes it on their face. Signs all over the world. Literature all over the world. John 3.16. Anybody remember what John 3.14 said? We got some old Bible readers in here. John 3.14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent, In the wilderness. Wow. There was an old boy on the backside of a desert one day. And God came by and called and he surrendered. And he laid down his rod. And he took up a serpent. All alone by himself. Picked up something scary. Picked up something sinister. Picked up something horrific. But he picked it up. Out of obedience to God. Nobody was looking. And God let him land in another testament in front of the whole world, introducing John (laughs) 3.16. Woo! If you'll take it up privately, He'll let you lift it up publicly. Woo! Of course, we know in the book of Numbers over there, there was a plague and they were dying and God told Moses, put that serpent on a brass pole and lift it up and they can look and live Some of you want to be right in front of John three sixteen where the whole world can meet you, but on the backside of a desert you don't want to pick up what he's telling you to pick up. If you'll if you'll pick it up privately, he'll let you lift it up publicly. I bless the Lord. Well, he called me when I was a teenager. Whoever's going to play the piano for us tonight? Come on. He called me when I was a teenager. You talk about some private struggles. You talk about some private warfare. You talk about some hell trying to kill me. I picked it up privately. I met a serpent. Oh, I met a serpent in them Tennessee hills. Brother Sam... You go examine that passage. And that thing, Moses fled. Is that what it said? Moses fled from before the face of the serpent. And then the Lord said, Pick it up by the tail. Listen to me. Okay. If he's fleeing from the serpent. There's the serpent and he's running. Pick it up by the tail. Well, he had to stop. Turn around and face it. And then it... I'm about to run out in the highway for a second time. Finish this quote for me. And I may need you old men of God to help me. Resist the devil... And he will what? He will. He will flee. And Moses fled. When he obeyed God, he turned to face it. And some of you, God wants you to turn around and face your enemy. And you'll be amazed. It won't bite you, it'll turn around and start running. David walked down in that valley, gave bread to the brothers cheese of the captain, and said, I'm tired of hearing that feller cuss. He confronted that giant in a little while you go read the King James Bible, all the Philistines fled. (laughs) When somebody faced the giant, they fled. Quit being spiritual cowards. Turn around and face the devil. Resist the devil. Isn't that wonderful? That it said resist. It didn't say outsmart him. It didn't say you have to outmaneuver the devil. It didn't say you had to figure him out and beat him in spiritual chess. It didn't say you had to defeat him. It didn't even say you had to fight him. So resist. You may not have your way with the devil, but don't let him have his way with you. Resist him. And he'll flee, He'll flee. Resist the devil, and he'll flee. He picked that thing up by the tail. Won't it turn around and bite me? It didn't. It turned into the rod again. Bow our heads. Let's all stand. Who'll come pray? Might do us good to come around and pray. Might do us good. <laughs> I'm glad God'll help me with my sin. I'm glad He'll help me with my adversary. Brother David, you play out loud, and we'll let God's people pray. You need to be saved. Come to Christ; He'll save you. If you need to draw nigh to God, draw nigh to God; He'll draw nigh to you. Some of you need to face. Turn around and face it. He will flee.